Um, we started a new series last week called The Journey. And, um, and, and the whole idea behind this series is, is, this, is this, this idea that, God, what if, what if this summer, the summer of 2018, what if we dedicated our summer, these next three months, well, hopefully the rest of our lives, but let's start here. These next three months, what if we intentionally turned our eyes towards you and say, God, I want to go on a journey with you. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I want you to, to open up my eyes to see what you're doing in my life. I want you to challenge me. I want you to change me. I want you to reveal something about me and something about us and something about you that I've never thought of before. And, 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 and I'm going to intentionally focus on this um, these next few months. I'm going to give you more time. I'm going to give you more of my thoughts. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a bigger portion of myself than what I have in the past so that you can say and do something special in me. And that's what this series is about. And last week we talked about this truth that if we're going to go on this journey of discovery, this journey, then, then we need the right guide. And we can't look to ourselves and we can't look to this world and we can't look to common knowledge that we specifically need to look to God to be our guide on this journey. And what does it look like for him to be our guide? But, but the, the bigger picture is, is what is this dream? What is this vision, God, that you could give me that, that I can pursue towards that would completely change my life. It's a dream. It's a, it's a vision of, of, of what, what possibly could happen if you did something great in me and through me. The summer, this year, for the rest of my days, what is it that you have for me? About three years ago, um, I, maybe four or five, I, they all run together. You know how that happens, right? Um, a few years ago, let's just say it that way. I was at this uh, this leadership summit, this leadership training called the Global Leadership Summit. And it's put on by a gentleman by the name of Bill Hybels in his church called Willow Creek up in Chicago. And um, he was starting out the series talking about vision. And he walked through this process that I want to walk you guys through this morning just real quickly that I haven't really been challenged much on. And he said, vision, vision is all about getting people... There. It's, and this, this is, this is what leaders do. That we cast a vision and we say that this is there. This is where God is leading us. And what we know about vision though is that sometimes when we start going there, that in the great intentions of going there, sometimes we end up a little bit here. We don't quite make it. Have you ever been there before? You're like, okay, God, I, I see this out there and we're going to head towards that. And then all of a sudden one of those turns happen and, and we end up a kind of close, but we didn't quite get there. Ever Anybody ever been there before? Sometimes we end up a little bit here. Sometimes we end up here. And so, so there kind of becomes a little bit nebulous, a little bit unclear, but that's still the vision. That's still the goal. That's still where we're headed. And here's what's even more confusing is sometimes on the journey there, there's lots of different paths to get there. I was thinking about getting from home to the church. It's just one road, right? Hunt Highway. But the truth is, is that there's lots of different ways, depending on what crazy thing they decide to do to the streets, that I have to go to get there. 
you know, I, sometimes I have to, to, to jump, to, to jot down the new little loop they created, you know, which is really cool over to Gansel. And, and sometimes I turn left and I go through Johnson Ranch Boulevard and, and one day Hunt Highway is going to be complete. You know, they've been working on it for how many years? 10, 15 years. One of these days it's going to be right. And I'll just be able to jump on that thing. But there's lots of different twists and turns that I can make to get there. And so sometimes that makes it really confusing. He says, but the peace that we often miss in this idea of vision is helping people to understand here and why it's not okay to stay here. See, what we often don't talk about We like the idea of painting the picture, and we're really excited about going down the journey, but if we don't convince people why we can't stay here, they'll never go. Why why can't we stay here? This sounds okay, but if I'm comfortable, if if my life is kind of right where I want it, I'm not going to leave here. There has to be that moment when we look around and we say, I don't want to stay here. Here's not okay. And if here's not okay, how about all of us join together to go there? That's what vision is. It's not just about there, but it's about convincing all of us why why we can't stay here. And if we can't stay here, then just maybe, if all of us pull together, we can go there. Does that make sense? In our personal lives, it's, it's that moment when we, when we stand in front of the mirror that we've been avoiding for quite some time and we take a look and we turn sideways and our belly sticking out a little bit further than what it was and we're just like, I don't like this. Sorry, I'm pointing at myself here, but... So what do I have to do to get there? I, I don't want to be here anymore. Or, or maybe it's opening up the checkbook in another week or another month of going in the negative or, or pinching pennies to, to make it work. And we say, I, I, just can't, I just can't handle this. And so what do I have to do? I'm not okay with being here financially anymore. And so what is the possible place that we could go? And God, how are you going to lead me there? Are you following this? Or maybe it's a relationship. And you and your spouse or you and your kids have just butted heads one too many times and you sit down and you think, I don't, I don't like the fact that we don't like each other very much right now. And so what do we have to do to change? It's, it's the story of the prodigal son. You remember the parable that Jesus told of the prodigal son? And the, the story is that there's a man had two sons and the youngest son said to the father, you know, dad, I wish you were dead. Give me your inheritance. And it broke the father's heart, but he gave him his inheritance. And the little son went off into the, the way country is what the scripture says. And he spent all his money on wild women and gambling and partying and all that stuff. And then when he had nothing and he had spent it all, a famine hit, a famine hit and all his friends left him. And he found himself in, in a pigsty feeding pigs to make money. And the scripture says that he was looking there and the scripture says he came to his senses. It's that moment where he says, what am I doing here? Have you ever been there before where you came to your senses and you're just 
How did I get here? And I'm not okay with staying here. I want to be somewhere different. It's the wake-up call. Here's the hard part, though, is that here is not always terrible. Sometimes here is really comfortable. Sometimes we get ourselves and our families right into that, that sweet spot where the finances are okay and everybody's getting along and we have our four-bedroom house and our 3.2 kids and our dog and our two-car garage and we're just super excited about being here and we're comfortable. But the truth is, is that the longer we stay in comfort, the longer we stay there, we stay we're missing out because God always wants to do more in us and through us. And so what if, what if we heard the voice of God and God is saying, Hey, I know things are fine in your life. I know things are comfortable. I know things feel good. But what if? What if there was more? What if I wanted you to go deeper with me? What if I, I wanted to show more of myself and I wanted you to do more? Are you, are you game? Are you ready? Will you go? There's a fascinating story, if you look in your notes, of Jesus' and the disciples. And it says this. It says, um, you can look in your notes. It's Matthew chapter 17. This is about the Mount of Transfiguration. It says, six days later, Jesus took Peter and his two brothers, James and John, and he led them up on a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. And it said, suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. And Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And in the Greek, this, this term, shelters as memorials, is actually the same Greek word that's translated tabernacles. And so it's not just like pitching three tents, but this is, you know, Peter saying, hey, what if we built, I mean, this is so good being on this mountaintop. This is so great. You know, I mean, it's Jesus, it's Moses, it's Elijah hanging out together talking. What if we built three tabernacles and we stayed here and we worshiped you? And this is, this is where God, Jesus, this is where we're supposed to be. Listen what happens. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son, who brings me great joy. Listen to him. It's as if God is saying, Hey, hey, Peter, will you just zip it for a second? You know, Peter was the one that was always saying just a little bit too much at the wrong times. And, and, and God's saying, Hey, buddy. Jesus, Moses, and Elijah are hanging out in the mountaintop and you think you have the ideas. How about you just shut your mouth and you just listen to Jesus just for a second? And it says, the disciples were terrified and they fell face down on the ground. Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone and they saw only Jesus. As he went back down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, don't tell anyone you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. So Jesus said, no, 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 no. no. We're not building tabernacles. We're not staying up here. I mean, Jesus took them up there. Jesus wanted them to experience the mountaintop. But he's saying, Peter, this is not where we're going to stay. 
We, we have more to do down there. We can't stay here. We, got, we have places to go. We have things to do. It's, it's an idea, but no. So what is it? Why can't we stay here? I just have a few thoughts for you this morning about, about this place and why we can't stay. And when I say this place, I'm not talking about 35244 North Tricker Road. Um, maybe one day God's going to have that for us. But I'm talking about in our hearts and in our lives, why we can't stay here. And the first thing is this, is that we stay here because it's comfortable. And comfort can become complacency. We stay here. We get in these modes of staying, of, of gathering, of, of, of being, because it's comfortable. But the danger is, is that comfort can become complacency. In college, I went to college in Oklahoma City, and I grew up in Dallas. It took me two and a half hours to drive from home, from, from my front door in Oklahoma City to my college dorm was two and a half hours. And because it was so close, I would go home probably two or three times a month on the weekends just to hang out with my friends, to, to, to go to church, to, you know, do whatever with my buddies. And, and the thing is, is that this, I, I just liked, I just liked my life back in Dallas a little bit more than I liked what was going on at college. And so I would go home and I would stay as long as I could possible before I had to head back to college. And the older I got, um, the higher, the, the longer I would stay. And and that drive of those two and a half hours became some of the longest two and a half hours. Now, some of us think two and a half hours, that's no big deal. I mean, I drive that every day to work. It's Phoenix, right? If you drive from here to North Phoenix to do something, it's two hours. It's two and a half hours. But but the reason that, that it was it it seemed so long and it was such a difficult drive is if you've never driven that road. But on I-35 between Dallas, it's just, it's just a straight shot. It's just a straight shot. And that's why it became so hard for me. And it wasn't so hard because it was so long or so many miles. It was because I would get so tired. I mean, I would be hanging out with my buddies all weekend. I'd be playing. I'd be doing all my stuff. And then 8 or 9 o'clock on Sunday would roll around. I'd be like, well, I guess I need to go back to college. And so, especially in the fall or in the winter when it was cold outside, you get in your car and you turn on the heater and you get on that road, and once you pass Denton, there's like two towns. And other than that, it's just a straight shot, really dark, hardly anybody on the road. But and 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 it would I would just phase out. Have you ever phased out while you're driving before? Now I, I never fell asleep, but I would phase out. I, I remember one time I was driving, and I thought, you know what, I I really need to stop. I'm something's weird. I'm, I'm super tired. I need to stop at Ardmore, which is the only town between Denton and Oklahoma City. But the only problem was, is that when I thought that, I had already gone 10 miles past it. Now, somehow I had driven through the town of Ardmore and its five exits without even consciously recognizing that I was driving. Anybody ever done that before? And it is terrifying. It's terrifying to think for the last 20 miles I did not even recognize what was going on around me. How did I stay on the road? I immediately pulled over, started doing jumping jacks in the middle of I-35. Please, Lord, wake me up so I'll make it home safe. I, I dazed out. I dozed off. When you daze out driving, the time and the road just passes you by. And that's dangerous in driving. 
And it's dangerous in life. When we get comfortable in our walk with God, the next thing we know, we get stuck in a rut. Have you ever been stuck in a rut spiritually? Where you're just going through the motions. And it's when we're stuck in those ruts, going through the motions of our faith with God, that's when we have the tendency to drift away from the Father. We drift away. And that's, that's the danger. It's the story of Samson. Anybody familiar with the story of Samson in the book of Judges? Samson is this mighty man of God who's been slaying Philistines and delivering God's people from a time of rebellion. But the problem is that Samson got complacent. Not only did he get complacent, but he, but he fell in love with a foreign woman named Delilah. And if you read the story in Judges chapter 16, Delilah is secretly working for the Philistines, I believe. And, um, and she's, she's, she's trying to figure out what's made Samson so strong. And Samson's, so she asks Samson, Samson says, well, I'll become weak if you tie me up with, with new bowstrings. And so he falls asleep and she ties him up with bowstrings and she calls the Philistines and the Philistines come and he breaks out the bowstrings and he goes to fight. And then she gets mad. Now, I don't know why Samson didn't get mad, but she gets mad. Just, why, why would you lie to me? He says, well, she's kept pestering. He says, well, it's not bowstrings. It's actually new ropes that have never been used before. So if you tie me up with new ropes that have never been used before. And so she does it. She calls the Philistines. He breaks the ropes. And then he goes to fight. And then the third time, she asks again. And the third time, he says, it's, uh, if, you, if you braid my hair into seven braids and then weave it into a loom, like a weaver's loom, is that what it's called? Um, then I'll become weak. If you notice, he's getting closer and closer to the truth of how he actually becomes weak. And she does it, and he breaks free, and he slaughters the Philistines. And now she's really upset. She says, Samson, how could you? How could you lie to me? And I'm thinking, Samson should be saying, woman, how come you keep trying to kill me? But he doesn't say that, right? He says, okay. She keeps pestering him. The scripture says that she actually keeps pestering him. He gets to a place of annoying, and he says, it's my hair. My hair's never been cut. If you cut my hair, I'll become just like any other man. So he falls asleep. She cuts his hair. And this is what happens. Judges chapter 16. Then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. But read the next part with me. But he didn't recognize the Lord had left him. He didn't recognize. How many of us can say this verse describes us? That we get into a rut. We get into the motions of doing life and we don't even recognize the Lord. Jesus appeared to, to the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos in Revelations. He says, he says, I want you to write this to the church. He says, you don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look, wake up. Look how far you've fallen. Look how far you've come. Man, you used to be so passionate about me. You used to love people so passionately. You used to sacrifice and encourage. And look how far you've fallen. What if instead we approached our relationship with God like, like Paul encourages Timothy? In 1 Timothy 6.12, he says, Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you. Hold tightly. Don't just go through the motions. Don't just... Don't just go willy-nilly in your faith, but hold tightly to what God has done in you and called you to be and to do.
C.S. Lewis, in his parable, the screw tape letters, says, Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual and the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. It's the gentle, slow slope to hell. Here's the thing, is that as churches, we have a tendency to create a culture that keeps us on the mountain. When churches begin, they're like organisms. They're moving, they're growing, they're doing, they're being creative, they're, there's this energy. But the longer they're there, the more they turn into organizations. And the reason why is because we want to build structures to keep what we have, to protect the status quo, to, to make sure that all of us that have worked so hard stay comfortable. We want to stay on the mountain. And Jesus says you can't stay. You can't stay here. Don't create a culture that keeps you on the mountain. Don't build the tabernacle that keeps you here. But keep moving. Keep growing. Keep pursuing God's heart. We have to create a culture that, that keeps us uncomfortable. I thought just a few things. What if we had a culture that says, you know what? No one, no one ever sits alone at one. No one sits alone. But when people come, we're so concerned about their hearts and where they are in the relationship with God and them feeling known and feeling encouraged that, that, that they don't sit alone. We sit with them. We get to know them. What if we create a culture that says every empty chair matters? Because if the chair is empty, that means that there is someone out there that's not sitting in here. And, and if they're in here, then at least they're experiencing Christian community and encouragement and hearing the word of God. So every empty chair, we use church words. We were in staff in Oklahoma City and, and, and Pastor Steve said, you know, I just noticed in our announcements last week, we encouraged people to come to Joy Airs. If you were new to our church, would you have any idea what a Joy Air was? But that was our group for, for like people 60 plus. And we had a class called Sojourners. And we said, hey, don't forget the Sojourner Sunday school, you know, party. And they were like, well, what's a Sojourner? Who goes to Sojourner? And we use terms like, we want to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. If you were new to a church and you heard, have you ever been washed in the blood of the Lamb? You would probably think, I got to get out of this place because that sounds really creepy and a little weird. And are they going to pull out Lamb's blood and like throw it all over us? He said, we're using words and terms that people don't understand and people don't know. We have to change our culture. The only place that we should pray for there to be empty chairs is in movie theaters and in airplanes. <laughs> have you ever been in a movie theater and there's like a bunch of chairs and that one person wants to come sit right next to you and you're just like, you're weird. Get away from me. It's okay to pray for an empty chair there. But anywhere else, especially here, Here's a second thought. Why we can't stay here? It's when you stay here, you may miss the ministry God has for you. Peter, Peter didn't know what he was asking. If Peter, if Jesus would have said, you know what, Peter, let's set up that tabernacle. You can stay right here. Acts chapter 2, the Pentecost. Peter wouldn't have been in Jerusalem whenever, whenever the power of the Holy Spirit came upon him and he went out and he preached in front of a group of people and 3,000 people were saved. 
He wouldn't have been there in Acts chapter 3 when he walked by the gate called Beautiful and he healed a man. And the man started jumping and, and people were just like, are you kidding me? This guy was, this guy was a cripple. He's been a cripple for life. And so they gathered around and 2,000 more people were saved that day. He wouldn't have been there. He wouldn't have been there in Acts chapter 9 when Ananias was, 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 was sleeping on his mat because he was crippled in Lydia and, and, and Peter walked by and healed him. And then the scripture says that every person in Lydia and Sharon turned to the Lord. Every person in the town came as, became a follower of Jesus. He wouldn't have been there if he stayed there. He wouldn't have been there when Tabitha in the town of Joppa was was dead and he raised her back to life. And the scripture says that every single person in Joppa became a follower of Jesus. He wouldn't have been there. He wouldn't have been there in Acts chapter 10 when Cornelius, the Roman officer, saw an angel of the Lord and the angel of the Lord told him to call Peter. And Peter came to Cornelius and he led him to Christ. And it was in that moment, in Acts chapter 10, when Peter began to understand that this becoming a follower of Jesus was not just for Jews, but it's going to be open to Gentiles also. It was in that moment that Gentiles, those who weren't Jews, who include us, were open now to receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. It wouldn't have happened. You have no idea what you're asking when you ask to stay. You have no idea what you're sacrificing. This is Haley and I's story. When we were in Oklahoma City, we were really comfortable. I was working in a good church of 350, 400 people, getting paid decent money. Haley had a really good job. And the Lord stirred our hearts to say, hey, we want you to move to Arizona. But, but Lord, my family's three hours away and Haley's family's three hours away. and We want to have grandkids. And you're wanting us to go 15 hours away? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But if we would have stayed, Haley and I, what we would have missed out on with this place and these people and what he's done in our family and in our lives, if we would have stayed. You don't always know what you're asking when you ask God to stay. Here's a third thought. It's, it's when we go from here to there that we grow. Now, you may not believe this because it doesn't look like it, but I actually do um, enjoy going to the gym. I haven't in a long time, Sarah. We're going we're gonna to work on this. Every time at staff meeting on Tuesday, Sarah's like, you ready to start going to the gym with me? Just about every time. But I do enjoy it. And you know who enjoys it more than me is my wife. Look, I enjoy going because I like the people. And I don't mind working out, but I like talking and working out with guys and, you know, having a couple people, not guys, but anybody having people there with me. But Haley, she likes the burn. Like when she works out, she literally wants to feel bad afterwards. She likes it when you try to sit down on the couch and your muscles start cramping. You're like, and you just fall back. She's like, if I don't feel that way the next day, I feel like I wasted my time. And I'm just like, woman, you're crazy. I want to enjoy the moment. I don't want to destroy my body. But that's what she enjoys. And here's the thing, is the truth is, is that our bodies need it. Our bodies need the pushing and the pulling and the stretching and the flexing. It's when we tear things down that new things start to grow. What happens when you just sit? Well, I'm going to give you a picture. (laughs) This is what happens when you just sit. It's called atrophy. Muscles begin to disappear. I used to have a bicep. It's, well, it's a little bit there, but it's not as big as it used to be. 
But it's when you go from here to there that you grow best. It's when our faith grows. It's when our trust goes. It's when our belief goes. It's when, it's when our, our, our belief in God grows because he shows himself to be faithful. You are meant to grow. Look at the scripture I put in your notes. 1 Corinthians 3. I'm running out of time. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to the world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. Now that was then. And then what does Paul say? And you still aren't ready. You still aren't ready. Paul says, church in Corinth, guys, ladies, you've become stunted. You're running around like a bunch of little babies and you're not growing in your faith. Babies, listen, babies grow over time. Babies grow over time. Baby Christians don't. I've met a lot of really old baby Christians that became followers of Jesus, but they never grew deep in their faith because they just stayed where they were. And the Lord says, if you want to grow, it's when you go here to there. It's when you allow me to stretch your faith. It takes time, yes, to grow in your faith with God. But it also takes faith and it takes steps and it takes movement to grow as a follower of Jesus. It's from when we go here to there that we grow. That's why we can't stay here. That's why we can't stay here. And here's the last one. Is that when you go from here to there, God's power is revealed. When you stay here, guess who's not necessary? God. God's not necessary. If you're just comfortable, He's not necessary. It's too comfy. It's when you're on the journey from here to there and things are hairy or things are stressful and things are not quite adding up, that's when God shows up. It's when people in churches step out in faith that God does His best Miracles. It's when his power is released. God makes an invitation to Moses. He says, hey Moses, I got these people back in Egypt. I've heard their cries and I want you to set them free. Listen to what Exodus chapter 3 verse 19 through 20. He says, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So read it with me. So I will stretch out my hand. Moses, if you go, if you go on this journey that I'm calling you to go on, I'm going to stretch out my hand. I'm going to get busy. I'm going to get moving. We're going to do something when you go from here to there. The people of, of God are now out of Egypt. Moses has passed on leadership to Joshua. And Joshua is standing at the Jordan River, and just on the other side is the Promised Land. And God looks at Joshua and he says, Hey, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take that ark carried by the priest and I want you to cross the river Jordan. And listen to what happens. Joshua 3, 14 through 17. It says, So the people let their camp, left their camp to cross the Jordan. And the priests who were carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. Have you ever seen a river overflowing its banks? It's not just hanging out and still. I mean, it's usually roaring and a ripping, Right? It's dangerous. Now read it with me. 
But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began to back up at a great distance away. It wasn't as if God said, okay guys, I'm going to make the river dry, then you're going to cross. He says, no, these these priests are going to be carrying my ark. It's not until that first toe hits that water am I going to show up and stop this river. Until something gets wet, I'm not going to do my miracle. You're going to have to act in a little bit of faith. And this is what it says. It says, Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of a riverbed. As the people passed by, they waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Now think of this. How many people are there in the people of Israel at this time? A bunch. Over a million. Million. And these ark, these priests are holding this ark. Now picture them in the middle of the Jordan River on dry ground with water bunched up looking at it saying, Hey guys, how about you hurry up just a bit? It's been a couple hours. It's getting kind of big. What if it lets go? out to sea. I don't know if the Jordan River goes out to sea, but I'm just saying, washed, washed away. Ripped away. But it was faith. In that moment, to get their feet wet, to say, God, that's when God's power is revealed. In the nick of time, God showed up. The water didn't part until the feet touched the water. You might want to write this on your notes. God is rarely early. Think about that for a second. God is rarely early. And He's never late. He's always right on time. Right on time. It's in our movement, in our faith, our pressing forward, that God shows up in the miraculous moments to do the impossible. In our movement, in our faith pressing forward that God shows up. Hey guys, you can't stay here. You can't. You can't stay here in your walk with God, in your faith with Him. You can't stay comfortable and idle. This summer, you can't say, okay God, I'm just going to cruise. You have to look at the Father and you have to say, okay God, I'm willing to go. Where do you want me to go? I am following you. You are my guide. I don't want to stay here. 